Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You who are my my brothers and sisters in Christ gathered together on this final Sunday of looking at those, those I am statements, just looking for a, a quick show of hands of how many of you enjoy playing cards. Oh, a good amount of you. And that's good because it means that most of you probably then understand the value of the trump card. Am I right? Because that's really where that statement comes from, the idea of a trump card. Did you know that usually, or originally it was called the triumph card back in the 1700s? But over time in use, trump card came into use, and now we have a president named Trump, so no one wants to talk about the trump card because they think you're talking about President Trump. But, but really, the, the trump card is the card that is the powerful card or the powerful suit. It's the card that can take a trick. It's a card that can, when played, has more authority than the others. But when we refer to trump cards in popular, or the trump card in popular speech, we, we usually aren't actually talking about the game of cards. But sometimes we talk about the trump card as the thing that we say or do that wins the argument. And you all have your own trump cards. And they're usually the things that you pull out when you're having your arguments at home. And it's the thing that you'll pull out because you don't want to talk anymore. And you want to win. And so the easy trump card is when the parent is arguing with the child. And finally the child says, but I don't get it, I don't like it, I don't want it to be. Why do we have to do this? And mom simply says, because I said so. Trump card. Can't argue with that. Mom said, it's done. But sometimes we have to go further than that. Sometimes we have to say, when you're arguing with someone or trying to make a point, you have to say, Well, don't you know who I am? I'm the pastor. And then you're starting to think, well, maybe there's somewhere it says in the book of Revelation then that his sports teams are the best team. That must be the trump card. Or sometimes we we simply say, the Bible says. Even though we don't actually know whether the Bible says, we just want to want to win the argument, or we, we make up and invent different trump cards on the spot simply to win the argument. The reality, my friends, is that so often when we're talking and arguing and trying to make a point, our arguments are sometimes weak. But it couldn't be further from the case when Jesus has to pull out a trump card today. And really, that's what this last I am statement is. It is Jesus who is engaged in a very heated conversation with some of his most persistent critics. Jesus, with a loving heart, 
and loving eyes is trying to get them to understand a key truth, and finally he has to pull out the trump card. I'm going to read through our text today, and I want you to figure out if you can, can determine exactly what that trump card was. And when you hear it, be reminded that that trump card serves two purposes. Yes, it's a firm rebuke, but it's also a source of tremendous comfort. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 8, starting with verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of our Lord. Those are fighting words. How our section begun began today. Did you hear kind of those very offensive, very aggressive, very challenging words? Jesus is in a conversation with, with a group of Pharisees, some of the Jewish leaders of that time. And the first verse, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Those, those are two horrific accusations. Um, the Samaritans, unfortunately were not held in high regard, and that wasn't proper, and yet it was frequently used as a racial slur. And to be demon-possessed? Well, no one thinks of that as a good idea. And yet here these people are looking at our Lord and Savior and saying, Samaritan, half-breed, demon-possessed person, you're talking craziness. And you can understand why they were talking this way to Jesus because this is an ongoing conversation that Jesus is having. And on the one hand, Jesus is there saying, I and the Father are one, and I am working in lockstep with his will, and I am here with the sole intent 
of saving you and the world from your sins, to which the the Pharisees were saying, give us some validation. Prove that you are who you say you are. And then Jesus would go back to say, you simply need to look at scriptures and you will realize that the God that you say you worship, I and he are the same, and I work with the Father. To which the Jewish leaders would say, but that is impossible. And we can't take your word because we follow the rules of Abraham. Abraham is our father, and that was their trump card. To which Jesus finally has to get the point across. And he says this last of the I am statements, Before Abraham was born, I am. Do you see what he was saying? He was saying, you who put all of your interest, all of your your, your confidence in the DNA of having Abraham as your spiritual and physical father, don't you get it? Long before Abraham ever existed, in fact, way beyond any time that you could ever imagine, I've always been in the game. Because I am the eternal God. I, the one who am the representation of the Father, I who have taken on human flesh to be with you and to carry the sins of the world to the cross, I am He, I am the Messiah, the one that that has been long prophesied, and yet here you are belittling me because I'm not meeting your expectations. Please let it be known here once and for all, before the one you put your trust in, before Abraham, I've always been. End of argument. But before we look down our noses at those Jewish leaders who were insulting Christ because they refused to acknowledge who he truly was, before we, we look down our noses and we, we say with disgust, how dare they do that to our Savior? Can you just take a moment with me and realize that we often throw or launch false accusations against our Savior as well? No, no, don't get me wrong. I don't think it reaches the point where we would say, you are demon-possessed. But, this is exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens when we fail to see Jesus for who he truly is. Jesus, who is the, the great I am. Jesus, who has been around from eternity and is working in lockstep with the Father. And it happens like this. It happens when we go through scriptures and we who are carrying the name Christians or followers of Christ, when we we look at it and we start to cherry pick the part of God's word that we like. And we build up all our cases on that. We, we, we go through God's word and we pick the part that talks about how he, he died on the cross for us, which we should love. And we pick out those sections which talk about love and how we ought to, to love just as he has loved us. And we should hang on to those. 
and we talk about those sections of God's word that we philosophically find ourselves aligned with and say, yeah, see, we have Jesus on our side in these thoughts. But what about the other parts of God's word where we find ourselves standing convicted because it corrects our thoughts and our behaviors? The points of the parts of God's word that that reveal the sin that's lurking in our hearts or the tendencies or the desires of a heart that's, that's not aligned with God. If we don't take those sections seriously, then what have we done other than look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're not the Messiah because some of what you have said is incorrect. Rather, we're going to stand not with our father Abraham, but we're going to stand on our own principles. To which, with those fighting words of knocking Jesus down a couple rungs, let it be heard now that Jesus says, before Abraham was born, and before you ever were born, and before you ever had the ability to think, I am. You see, Jesus is playing the trump card to get us to realize who he is that we might open our ears and close our mouths. If you want to play a a depressing game, play the game of asking people who Jesus is. Because you will get a whole wide spectrum of answers. In our confessions of sins this morning, we we talked about how we have the opportunity to take a stand and say who Jesus is, and we want to say, along with the apostles, you are the, the Son of the Most High God. You are the Messiah. But if we ask this world that we live in, well, who is Jesus? You will get a whole range of answers from, um, isn't he that guy that's in the Bible? To, he's a revolutionary. To, he was a political leader who opposed the traditional norm of the day to he's a hoax to he was a self-centered man who just wants everyone to follow him rather than their own ways to he's a philosopher it's a sad story because the great I am is going on record time and time again in God's word that we might know exactly who he is. He is the eternal God who has come, and did you hear what he says? To tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Wow! This is the Messiah we've always wanted. One who can can put his arms around death and do away with it. One who is in control from the beginning all the way to the end because for him there is no beginning and end. One who long before the great Abraham ever existed, he already was and is and always will be. And you see, when we come into contact with that Savior and this phrase Before Abraham was born, I am, we now have found a source of incredible comfort.
You know why? Because think of how the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were propping up their argument. They were saying that they could have confidence with their eternal lives based on their DNA. They were saying, well, we have Abraham as a father. He's our our spiritual paternity test will show that Abraham is our father, therefore we can have confidence, to which the great I am says, it really doesn't matter what your DNA says or who your great-great-great-grandfather is or who your mother or your father is or who your brother or your sister is. It doesn't matter what race you come from, what your DNA states, but you have a spiritual father in Christ that becomes your father when we place our faith in the Son. And that's a confidence that he wants us to have that says it doesn't depend on who you are by birth. It's a realization that regardless of who you are by birth, when our faith is concentrated on Christ, the great I am is the reason for our hope. But there's more. There's more. He says, you who know Abraham... You don't have to claim him as your spiritual father in the sense that that you're related to him or have his DNA, but rather, what is it that made Abraham great? It certainly wasn't his sinlessness because you can look through the book of Genesis and you can see that he was a mess just like we are in so many ways. But he put his hope and his trust in God's promise for the coming Savior. And it says, just as Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. Which means we get to be on Abraham's team. Not trusting in Abraham, but trusting in the same Savior that Abraham had. Even as he looked to the future and said, someday the Lord will provide the great I am, we look back and said, here he is in the person of Jesus, the timeless one who took on human flesh to pay for our sins. And so we rejoice just with Abraham, just like Abraham in the coming of Christ. But there's more. And I think this really hits home for us. Before Abraham was, I am. Do you realize the value we have in having a timeless Savior? I say that because we are so driven by time and the effects of time take their toll on us and we are so accustomed to seeing people's thoughts and concerns and motives and even beliefs change from time to time. And isn't it possible that maybe we start to think that the God who we learned about as a child maybe isn't our God today, or we lose confidence that the love of God that we heard about as a kid, well, now that we've become seasoned veterans in a sinful world, we start to question whether he could still be the same loving God to which Jesus says, I am, and I won't change. And long before your ancestors were here, I am, And long after the last person will be around here on earth, I am. 
I am ever constant, never changing my love for you. It's been in my heart from the beginning and will endure past the end of this age because his love for you is part of who he is, the great I am. You see, when we come into contact with Jesus, we find a Savior who is not fickle of heart, who is not going to love us for a little while and then leave us because he's going to find something better. But rather, we see the same one who, with love in his eyes, even though with firm words he has to rebuke and correct the Pharisees, He wants us to see him for who he is, the eternal God who took on our flesh to finish the work of our salvation. And lest you think that the words of our text end in kind of an inconspicuous way, let me just show you the comfort in this phrase. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. You see, they were furious because even though Jesus was speaking the truth, they refused to hear it. And the punishment for blasphemy, the punishment for someone who was claiming to be God but they believed wasn't, was being stoned. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't fight back. But using some of his divine power, he hides himself and he slips away. Why? He could have ended it right there. And he could have destroyed those pharisaical leaders, but he didn't. Or he could have ended it there and said, fine, I'm here to die anyways. May your stones hit me. But our timeless God has always had in his mind what needs to happen to save you. He slipped away that he might continue the work of being our Savior and end up on the cross for you. That's the great I am. He was completely committed to the work of our salvation. And it never changes. And that's the trump card that you and I can pull out whenever sin stares us in the face, threatens and accuses, and makes us realize how much help we need. We pull out the trump card that says, our Lord and our Savior, the great I Am, was true to his promise, true to his word, and he has paid the price. Trump card played. Confidence ours. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.